We've got two readings tonight. The first one is Exodus 34, verse 29, and that's on page 94. Exodus 34:29. <clears throat> When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. The next reading is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, and that's on page 1,159. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is a ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away but their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, a veil is, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just prayed in that song, we will trust in you alone. For your endless mercy follows us. 
And so, Father, we pray that as we come to your word, a word which you describe as living and active, that, Father, we would trust it. Please help us, Father, to understand it, uh, to uh, apply it. And we pray that, Father, by the power of your Spirit, you may change our hearts to live it out. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please keep that passage. We're going to look at um, a bit of Exodus. So if you've not closed that already, keep a finger in that. Uh, but also keep a finger in 2 Corinthians. And um, that'll be all. Yeah, we're seeing another passage, but yeah, I won't ask you to put a finger in that. So um, we'll start off in 2 Corinthians. Why do we love live events? Why do we spend our money, spend our time going to see live events? I guess almost all of us love live events, whether it be the sports match, saving up to see a Premier League match, if we're that lucky, or a Champions League match, or a cricket match. Uh, perhaps we're not into sport, but we're into music, and we wait for our uh, favorite band to release their tour dates, and we, we save up all our money, and we go and see them uh, on the road. Or perhaps we're those type of people who love camping and love mud, and we go to those summer music festivals uh, to experience live music. Uh, perhaps that's not you. Perhaps you, um, you like live comedy, and you wait for the autumn tour dates to come out from your favorite comedian, and you go and see them. Or maybe you're into kind of art and that sort of thing, um, and uh, you wait for live exhibitions to come out. I think that's what they're called. And you go and see them. See, as a society, as a culture, we love live events. And it's a peculiar thing because as a society and as a culture, we have more access than ever to recordings or images or videos of those things. I mean, when I was younger, uh, if you wanted to see a Premier League match, I mean, you had little chance of doing so. It was on Sky, and there were like two kids in the whole school who had Sky television, and the only chance you had was to befriend them and see if they would invite you over to their house. And obviously, they were the most popular guys in the school, and I had little chance. I didn't see Premier League matches. But now I can see them on my phone, wherever I am. And um, back when I was younger, you had music on things called CDs. They're like little laser discs, and you put them into a machine. And you would have to, if you're waiting for your band to release their latest album, you have to wait for it. You'd have to save up and queue outside our price and uh, buy a CD. A bit of nostalgia. Um, but now I can stream music wherever I am, um, uh, easily as anything. And yet, as a society, live events are more popular. We love them. Why is that? Well, I think our instinct is, is that we know there's something more attractive, something more experiential, something more immersive, something more glorious in the live event. A few months ago, I saw one of my favorite bands, Elbow. And uh, if you had offered me the choice between seeing Elbow live or listening to them on a tinny mobile phone. I mean, there's no comparison. I wanted to see them live, and they were great. And in this passage this evening, it's, uh, Paul is showing us that Jesus and what we have in him is like the live event compared to the recording on a tinny phone. See, the, the tinny phone, it kind of it gives us an echo of, um, of a band or, or whatever it might be, but it's nothing compared to the live event and Paul writes that to this church in Corinth because they are unsure or they're looking shaky in terms, of, uh, what, in, in terms of being confident in what they already have. See, Paul writes this to show them they're at the live event. They've got the real deal. They've got the most glorious uh, thing in Jesus already. 
Uh, the church in Corinth has had some visitors, and they're chipping away at the Corinthians' confidence in what they already have. And so he writes this to affirm them and to encourage them in what they already have. And my aim this evening, as, as we look at this passage, is it will do the same with us, that it would encourage us, it would affirm us, and it will show us what we already have in Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to see two things, and um, I'm afraid I changed my mind about this passage uh, after the song sheets were, uh, were printed. So, uh, you have on there, the ministry of the Spirit is more glorious, but um, if you're writing notes, you want to put above it the new covenant. I mean, it's a similar idea, but um, that might just make things a bit easier. So the ministry of the new covenant is more glorious because, one, it brings better things, and secondly, it reveals a glory that was once hidden. First of all, then, it brings better things. See, there's lots of confusing details in this passage. I don't know how you felt when it was read out, but um, there's lots of sort of references we perhaps are not familiar with. But the way to navigate it is to see that fundamentally Paul is making a simple comparison. He's making a comparison between the old covenant and the new covenant. So if you imagine two columns, uh, one labelled old, if you're writing notes this would be a good thing to do, one labelled old, one labelled new, uh, Paul um, identifies different outcomes from each covenant in each column, old covenant and new covenant. Uh, covenants, you might ask, uh, what are covenants? Um, covenants are formal promises made between two or more people. Uh, they're not kind of informal promises. They're not like promises we sort of make, you know, to see someone for coffee, that sort of thing. They're formal, somber promises. It's like, a, it's like the marriage ceremony. People make serious promises to one another that should be kept for life. And God does that with people in history. God makes promises, formal promises promises with his people. He does that in what's called the Old Covenant, which is referenced in verse 14 in your passage. That's the Old Covenant through Moses with his people Israel. And he does that with the New Covenant, which is referenced in verse 6, which is not just made with Israel, but the whole world and is made through Jesus Christ. And this whole passage is a comparison between those two things. Paul wants to show them they are at the live event. They have got the most glorious thing already, and they're not to swap it for anything else. So, um, the comparison. Um, if you imagine those two columns, uh, Paul goes through, and he identifies um, things for each column. First of all, then, the Old Covenant. Well, he says the Old Covenant, verse 7, brought death. But the New Covenant, verse 6, gives life. The Old Covenant, verse 9, uh, brought condemnation. But the New Covenant, verse 9 again, brings righteousness. Uh, the Old Covenant, verse 11, was fading away. But now the New Covenant is a covenant that lasts. See those two columns, one brings death, one brings condemnation, one doesn't last. And the New Covenant brings life. It brings righteousness, and it lasts forever. Now, you might ask the question, well, why does God make a covenant like that? Why does he make a covenant that brings death and condemnation and doesn't last? Well, of course, God doesn't intend to make a covenant that produces those things. But those things were a consequence of the covenant being broken. See, the old covenant is actually good. The old covenant... Um, when it was made with the people, they praised God for it. They were overjoyed at being part of this covenant. And they promised to obey God. 
But the thing is, it was made with a people whose hearts were not changed. They didn't love God, and so they disobeyed it. And these things were a consequence of the covenant being broken. Uh, Romans chapter 7 puts it like this. Romans chapter 7, verse 10. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life, Paul says it's an, a commandment that was intended to bring life, it was a good thing. Uh, the, the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. See, it was a good covenant, it was intended to bring life, but sin meant that death came as a result. It's a bit like that sign, um, you see those signs around, wet paint, do not touch. What do you do when you see one? I do. Um, you touch it. And sin, sin is like that. Put it next to a good covenant, and it'll be disobeyed, and it brings condemnation, it brings death, and it does not last. Now, there's a real surprise, I think, in this passage in 2 Corinthians, because I think if you were writing this, you kind of expect Paul to say, well, that was bad, and now we've got this new covenant, and it's good. But do you notice what Paul says? He says it was glorious. It's not bad, it was glorious, he says. Verse 9, if the ministry that condemns men and women is glorious. Verse 10, for what was glorious. And verse 11, for what if, and if what was fading came with glory. It's actually glorious. Now, you might ask, well, how is it glorious? How is a covenant that produced death and condemnation and and didn't last, how is that glorious? Well, Paul explains uh, his point from this incident with Moses, and I want us to have a look at it with me. It's referenced in verse 7, so let's read that together. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved on letters of stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was. He speaks about this incident with Moses. Uh, Let's have a look at it. It's um, in Exodus 34, um, which is on page... page 94. Exodus 34, verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. See, there was so much glory in this old covenant that even Moses kind of looking at it meant that his face glowed. It was radiant. I mean, I don't quite know what that would have looked like, but I guess it was strong enough to, um, I mean, it brought fear in the people. It was quite quite a spectacle. And it's a visual representation of just how much glory there is in this old covenant. And the point is that if this old covenant, a covenant that uh, just by looking at it makes your face glow with glory, if that covenant, a covenant that brought death and condemnation and did not last, if that covenant was glorious, how much more so is the covenant through Jesus Christ? A covenant that brings life and brings righteousness and lasts forever. See, how much more glorious is the covenant that you and me are in now. It's not that the old covenant was bad. 
but it was like having the recording of your band on the phone compared to going to see them at a live gig. Now, as I say that, I wonder how, what your reaction is to that. Um, maybe you're someone who sits here and you think to yourself, do you know what, I can see what Paul's saying, but to be honest with you, it doesn't feel that glorious. Uh, perhaps we're someone um, who's a bit older, and perhaps we've been um, brought, uh, we were born in a society that kind of knew kind of Christian things, and that was the kind of default thing to do. And it can become a bit over-familiar with us. Um, it can just feel like um, it's not that exciting, it's not that big a deal. Or perhaps we've been brought up in a Christian home, which is a great blessing, it really is. But perhaps um, these things have become familiar to us. Or perhaps over the years we've just forgotten how glorious it is to be in this covenant. But the thing is, Paul's saying here, I think, that if you went back and got Moses, uh, Moses who saw God's glory in the plagues and in the fire on the mountain and whose face radiated as he saw God's covenant, even Moses, uh, with all that experience, if you brought him here to St. Mary's in Basingstoke, he would say there's no comparison. You guys have it much better. You have the most glorious promise already. 1 Peter 1 verse 12 says this, even angels long to look into these things. These things we experience now. I had a friend at work um, when I was back in um, I'm not allowed to call it a proper job, but my old job in the, in the city. Um, I had a friend there who uh, loved uh, Led Zeppelin. I didn't really know about Led Zeppelin. I'm sorry if you're a Led Zeppelin fan. Um, but he loved them. I guess he had his, their records, and he would tell us about them. And then one day in 2007, they announced that they were going to do this one-off gig. Um, it was going to just be once, and it was a, you know, it's, hasn't been done for decades. My friend went bananas, let me tell you. Um, he told, and, uh, and the tickets were going to be allocated through ballot. Um, my friend got everyone he knew to apply for these tickets. I mean, I applied for Led Zeppelin tickets. I haven't got a clue who they are, but I applied for them because he was desperate to get there. See, he knew how wonderful it would be to see the band he loved. And when it comes to this covenant we experience, do we understand that we have the most glorious promise delivered already? See, Israel and Moses, they, they saw the glory in the face of Moses, but that is nothing compared to what we have now in Jesus Christ. First of all, then, it brings better things. Secondly, it reveals a glory that was once hidden. The, the new covenant is more glorious because it reveals a glory that was once hidden. See, Paul um, develops this whole incident with um, Moses and his face, um, and uh, he starts speaking about this veil. And you think to yourself, well, what's this veil about? Um, and we find out in Exodus uh, 34. So let's turn back with me uh, to it on page 94. And I'll read from verse 33. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what had been commanded, they saw his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Did you get that? Uh, the veil was um, put on uh, when he was with the people. It was taken off for him to speak to the people, and it was taken off when he went into the Lord's presence. And you wonder to yourself, well, what's the significance of this veil? Why does that matter? Well, Paul says that is a picture 
of the Old Covenant today. It's a picture of what happens. Uh, it's a picture of what the Old Covenant's like. It's limited. You don't quite see the glory in it. Again, it's not bad. It was good, but it's limited. Why is it limited? Well, it's limited because it was only ever revealing kind of second-hand glory. I mean, in fact, second-hand doesn't cut it. It's kind of third, fourth-hand glory. What do I mean? Well, um, Moses, uh, in the chapter before uh, Exodus 34, he, he asked to see the Lord's glory. I mean, it's quite a moment uh, in the Exodus narrative. And um, uh, the Lord kind of goes, yes, but um, no one can see my glory and live. And so he tells Moses to go into a cave, and he goes into a cave, and the Lord covers over the cave and uh, walks past, and Moses sees the back of God, and he sees that glory. And seeing that glory, just seeing the back of God, uh, he doesn't quite see the glory, but that's enough to make his face radiant. And he goes down to the people, and they see the effect it has on Moses. But even the people don't quite see the glory. See, they see it through a veil. Moses has to put this veil over him. See, it's second, it's third, it's fourth-hand glory that the people see. And Paul says that is an image. That is what is happening to Israel, his fellow Jewish nation today. Uh, verse 14, back in 2 Corinthians. He says this, But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. So you kind of expect Paul to say that there's a veil over the hearts of those who don't read the Scriptures, but he doesn't, does he? He says it's precisely those people who read the Scriptures. They read of this Old Covenant, they read the Old Testament, and yet there's a veil. Why is there a veil? Well, they don't see the glory that's in it. It's hidden from them. But the thing is, Paul says that we're not like Moses in verse 13. We're not like Moses. We're not like Moses and the people. We're not um, seeing the glory through a veil and kind of only seeing an imprint of the glory. But we see the glory that was once hidden. Verse 18, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect or contemplate the Lord's glory. See, we see the glory that the Israelites long to see. We see it with unveiled faces. We're not like the people with Moses kind of trying to glimpse through the veil and seeing what was on Moses' face, but we see it. We see it today. I guess we ask the question, where? I mean, with Moses, it was kind of obvious. He kind of had this glowing face. It would be pretty obvious where this glory was, but, but where is it today? We don't see anything kind of that spectacular. Well, the clue comes in verse 14 at the end there. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. See, Christ, Jesus Christ, is the glory. See, Jesus Christ fulfills what Moses pointed to. See, the whole point with the Old Covenant, the, old point, the whole point with Moses is that he was pointing to something greater. Uh, Moses was like a road sign. Uh, one of my favorite um, things to do on a day off is to go to a theme park. Um, so if you want to take me out, that's where I love to go. Um, I just love theme parks. And one of my fondest memories as a kid was kind of driving to the theme park. And as you got closer, you would see these brown signs saying Thought Park this way or Chesson or whatever. And my heart would beat a bit faster. You know, I'd get very excited. 
It would be ridiculous for my parents to stop at one of those signs and say, here we are, kids, have a great day, Uh, meet us at the end of the day, because they were meant to point to something else. And the whole point with the Old Covenant is it was meant to point to something else. It was pointing to the greater Moses. See, the Old Covenant, it brought death. As people sinned, they suffered the consequences of it. But that, that effect on that covenant, the fact that it brought death, was meant to point to the one who would die to rescue us from death. See, that old covenant, as people sinned, it brought condemnation. They were guilty before it. But that was meant to drive them to see their need for a rescuer, to look to the greater Moses who would die to, to make us live, to bring us uh, righteousness before God. See, the old covenant, it was with Moses, and Moses died, and the leaders after him weren't very successful, and the whole covenant um, st- uh, finished. But that was meant to point to the covenant maker who would die and be raised and live forever. See, he is the true glory. Jesus Christ is the true glory. So you can imagine the people with Moses, they kind of were desperate to grasp that glory. They were desperate to grasp it in Moses' face. But now we see it in the face of Jesus Christ. Have a look at 4 verse 6. It's a wonderful verse. For God said, who, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's where we see the true glory, a glory that was once hidden we now see in Jesus Christ. It's not a a chance to kind of congratulate ourselves um, at St. Mary's, you know, thinking that here at St. Mary's we've kind of cracked it, we've seen something that lots of people didn't see. No, verse 8 tells us it is the Spirit's work, and verse 17 talks of uh, the Spirit who brings freedom. It's His work, it's the third person of the Trinity, He is the one who gets the credit. He is the one that enables us to see what was once hidden. But he has done that if we're Christian. We're now in the crowd, watching the live event, not listening to the recording. Actually, I'm, I've not been entirely accurate with you. Um, actually, I think it's more than we just see. Verse 18 says this, And we, who with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory. I mean, it's incredible that, to think that we don't just see the glory, but it reflects on us. Um, as Moses saw the glory of the old covenant, it changed his face, literally. He was, he was radiant uh, with the glory. But as the veil is lifted uh, from us by the Holy Spirit, we reflect God's glory, not by glowing faces, but by changed lives. We become more like Jesus Christ. See, the old covenant couldn't bring change on that scale. It never brought the change that people hoped for, but now we've got that. We've got a covenant that brings righteousness, that as we look at the glory of Jesus Christ, it changes us. It changes us to be more like his son. Some implications then as we close. Uh, Perhaps you're here this evening and you're not a Christian, or you're not really sure if you're a Christian. Um, I don't know uh, how you respond to this. I guess there's lots of bits that are uh, are probably quite confusing and uh, lots of bits we're unfamiliar with. And please do come and speak to me afterwards if you've got questions. I I really would love to uh, talk you through it. But I hope you can see that this is just a huge, huge claim. I mean, it's not like other religions. It's not like other world philosophies. 
I mean, there are lots of claims in the world around us um, to, uh, about where we can see God's glory, traveling across the world to a particular place, or getting in a particular state of mind to experience it. But only Christianity shows us that glory is found in a person. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. I wonder if you've investigated him seriously. But as you do, don't expect that glory to be seen as you would expect. See, this whole book shows us that his glory is shown in a different way to the way we expect. His glory is shown in weakness. His power is demonstrated in weakness. Perhaps you're a new Christian, um, you've not been going for long. Um, I hope you can see what you already have in this covenant. Um, The New Testament, time and time and time again, affirms what we already have as Christians. And I think one of the reasons it does that is because there's a real risk that people come across our path. People have done it with me, and I see it all the time. People come across our path and say, if you want to experience God's glory truly, or you want to have a particular experience, or you want to be transformed in the way you wish, well, that comes in a way different to Jesus Christ. You need this extra thing. But do you see you already have those things? If you trust in him tonight, you already have access to his glory. You're already being changed into the image of his son. Don't let anyone tell you to add to Jesus. Don't let anyone tell you to take away from him. I guess most of us, uh, like me, are older Christians. Uh, We've been going a few years. And the question I had for myself off the back of this is uh, what Paul says in verse 12. Do Do I have this same response? Paul says this, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. See, Paul is very bold. He spends his whole life proclaiming this message, making it known uh, in the world. And you can see that, can't you? If this is true, if this God's glory is found in this covenant, if the Spirit is actively at work lifting the veil for people to see the glory of this covenant, would that not transform everything? I mean, you couldn't look at your neighbours, you couldn't look at your work colleagues, you couldn't look at your friends the same way again, could you? I think it's easy sometimes to kind of get a bit demoralised about our culture. Um, Sometimes we think to ourselves, you know, at least back in the day, a couple of decades ago, people kind of had a biblical framework. At least we had something to work with. But was that any harder than what Paul experienced in Corinth, in the towns and cities he went to? See, Paul had absolute conviction that uh, the glory of God is found in this covenant. And he had absolute conviction that the Spirit was actively at work, lifting the veil. And so because of that conviction, he was very bold in making it known. Let's pray. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. Our Father, give us eyes of faith, we pray. Please help us to see the glory in what we have now. Father, with this comparison with Moses, would it help us to see that what we experience now in Jesus Christ is far more glorious and far more precious than anything that had been seen before. Please transform us, Father, to believe that and to proclaim it. In Jesus' name, amen.